This is an AMI podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to Outdoors with me, Lawrence Gunther. Not sure about the rest of you guys, but I'm getting a real boost out of listening to all these birds that have come back to Canada. It's really brightening my mood every time I go for a hike with the dog. Lily's going to test our bird song identification skills, and then we're going to meet Crystal Kale McLeod. She's the entrepreneur and founder of a community-supported agriculture operation, and man, she really has this dialed in. We visited her farms a bunch of times. Lily loves it there. There's so much going on. You know, having grown up spending summers myself on my uncle's farms, it brings me right back to my childhood. So I'll be reflecting a little bit about my time on the farm as a registered blind, low-vision kid. (laughs) Hey, Lewis, you smell that? That's the smell of spring, my friend. I know it's a little stinky, but I'm glad it's here. Come on, Lewis, let's go find Lily. Getting schooled with Miss Lily. Lily, last time... We talked about how to protect birds coming to the city, migrating through cities. You know what? There's more and more birds outside, I'm noticing. I was out for a walk today, and I almost tripped over a guy that had a tripod set up on the sidewalk recording and videotaping some birds on the next street over from our house. Yeah, I see them walking home at school. It's amazing. They're everywhere. They're everywhere, yeah. So uh, what's going on this time? Uh, (laughs) I've come up with just the thing. It's a quiz to test your knowledge of birds. I'm going to tell you the names of four birds and then play a sound of a bird. You need to tell me which bird song it is. I have six birds in total. I'm sure I'll do this. I don't think you will. (laughs) I picked some tough ones. You're going to have to tell me which of these four birds is making this song. What are my choices? The tufted tickmoose, the morning dove, the northern flicker, or the blue jay. I know, I know, I know. You know. Oh yeah. Okay. Play it again though. Okay. Because okay. this is interesting. This is not what everyone thinks it is. It's not an owl. I used to always think it was an owl, <laughs> but play it again. I thought it was a loon. You thought it was a loon? I thought it was a loon. Me and my friends were listening to this in class, and everyone was like, oh, it's a loon, it's a loon. No, it's, a, it's, not, a, it's not a loon, it's not a, a, an owl, it's a morning dove. These birds are so cute, let me tell you. They're just, they look like the classic white turtle dove, very like fat body, short neck, very flat, silky, slick head. They're very pretty, but this one's like a little a tan, dusty brown color. They're, I, I love these guys. Oh, nice. So I'm going to play the next song, Dad. Which four birds do I picking from now? The Downing Woodpecker, the Northern Flicker, the Black-Capped Chickadee, or the Blue Jay. Okay. There's a crow in the background, but that's a chickadee. No. No? No. Oh, what is that? Is that a flicker? No. Oh, man, I don't know. Say this is the woodpecker. That's the wood. The that's downy woodpecker? The downy woodpecker. All right, play, play it again. Cute. Now, if I play this sound, you'll probably hear the woodpecker better. 
Yeah, well, yeah, that, that's, that's a woodpecker. That, that's, that's, that's a giveaway. Yeah, that's yeah. that's not a call, though. That's them eating, looking for food. That's them pecking the tree. Yeah. yeah. So these birds, they're very small woodpeckers. They have white stomachs with black wings and a little red spot at the tip of their head. Nice. So the next bird. Yeah, what are the, my choices? Your choices here? are the blue jay, the northern flicker, the black-capped chickadee, or the tufted tick moose. I've never heard that before in my life. <laughs> You've never heard that? <laughs> no, not like that. That sounds like a, a, a bird in distress. Sounds like a war call or something. What is it? That's the northern flicker. The northern flicker. The northern flicker. They're really, really cute too. They have polka dot bellies. Polka dot bellies. And a little bit of red at their head, a long beak, and the, their wings are light brown. Okay. Yeah, they're really cute birds. Huh. Huh. All right. So we are down to the last three. The blue jay. The black-capped chickadee or the tufted tick moose? All right. Blue jay. Yeah, you're right. It's the blue jay. They have the ugliest call. Yeah, because they're mean. They're they're mean. They sound mean. They're territorial. They don't like other birds. And what color is it? Very blue. Blue jay. What's blue on the blue jay? The the entirety of it except for the underbelly. It's white. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So it's a pretty looking bird. Oh, it's a pretty looking bird for sure. So we're down to two. Yeah. So you're going to either hear the tufted tick moose or the black capped chickadee. Okay. Is that the tufted tick moose? Tufted tick moose, yep. It is, eh? Because you know what? I know what a chickadee sounds like. You do like. know what a chickadee sounds like. This one is so <laughs> cute, Dad. It's little. It's a little fat little bird with gray, a pointy hair. It's so cute. Oh. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll play the chickadee. I'll That's play it. the black-capped chickadee, which is also a really cute bird. That's a sound from my youth, you know? I hear those all over Southern Ontario. That's so cool. We have them everywhere. Here. Yeah. Do you have one for our listeners to do uh, a little quiz for them? Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Not too hard. Do you want me to give them options of what it is? Yeah, give three options and then play the sound. And, then, and if you guys know what bird this is, and you write in at feedback at ami.ca, let us know. And we will give a prize to one of the lucky oh. correct guessers. So your options are, listeners, um, white-breasted nuthatch, eastern towie, or dark-eyed junco. Say them again. White-breasted nuthatch, eastern towie, or dark-eyed junco. All right, let's hear it. Okay, you guys, Shazam that. Get your answers in if you want to win a prize. Shazam only works for songs. You're not going to be able to Shazam this. You need to figure this out by yourself. Thanks, Lily. Mm -hmm. Time for the bucket list. Crystal, welcome to Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther, and uh, Lily is here, and uh, we're super anxious to hear all about community-supported agriculture and your entrepreneurial spirit in all this. Oh, well, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so how did you get started in, in, in this whole venture? 
Well, Lawrence, it was kind of a combination of things. Uh, the first is that we came, I actually come from a long line of subsistence farmers. So my grandfather, my great grandfather all had farms. And so I spent a lot of time in my childhood with my grandpa kind of farming and raising his animals. Um, and then the other thing is that during the day, I work mostly with my brain sitting at a computer like lots of people. So the urge to kind of get out and use my hands and do something tangible is pretty strong. So um, I guess that's kind of where it started. And then once you kind of start growing your own food um, and realizing that, you know, it's a pretty recent thing that we go to the grocery store every week to get food. And in the past, our ancestors really made a lot of their own food, grew a lot of their own food and preserved a lot of their own food. So I guess once we kind of started doing that, we realized how much food can actually be produced by a vegetable garden. And that was kind of the impetus for us to get in there and partner with some of the families in our community to create a community supported agriculture or CSA program, which is basically where we produce um, huge baskets of vegetables um, and eggs and other produce um, during the growing season in Ottawa. So that tends to be between June and September. Yeah. Um, and then the families come and they can help us in the garden if they want, or they can um, choose not to, and they can just collect their, their baskets of veggies every week. Do you sell these vegetables? Like I know you have eggs and, and honey and syrup too. So, with the community supported agriculture program, we sell baskets of its vegetables, eggs, and then one surprise item um, every week. And that can include a bunch of different things from our farm. So the things like the honey and the maple syrup, we make kombucha, we do mm. homemade bread, we make goat milk soap. We do things like flour, jellies and floral infused vinegars and a whole bunch of different things. So each basket that a family would purchase would be once a week and they would get this basket of these things. Um, and that that's the CSA program. We do sell other things off the farm. So things like uh, uh, we have sheep that, that are wool sheep. So we sell yarn off the farm. Um, we make a lot of things we don't sell as well. So we raise meat, we raise like lambs and pork and chicken and duck, um, but we don't sell that. That's purely for our family. Uh, we do other things like brewing beer or making mead, and we obviously don't sell those things. Um, so the baskets are our way of, you know, selling things that we are able to use to then reinvest in the farm. Um, but it works really well for our family because we have three really little children. And the idea of sitting at a farmer's market to sell our wares, like a lot of farmers do, um, just doesn't work for our family. With You can just imagine the three little kids running around. It would be pandemonium. <laughs> so this is a way we can support the farm by having people come to us and partner with us without us having to leave our home base and, and lug our our little monsters around <laughs> three boys i grew up with three brothers i know what that's like my, i'm still surprised my mother's alive because of us me too <laughs> i'm also surprised by that well i'm trying to stay alive so the csa program definitely helps in that in that area for sure so from a business model like at what point did you break even with all of this or are you still looking to break even you've been out of a few years now um i think with small family farms like this that we don't do as our primary source of income, breaking even, I think, is a little bit of a dream. Um, we don't do the CSAs to break even. We do it to have excess income to then reinvest into the operation and into the farm. So we use the funds that we get from the CSA to do things. We've bought 
wooden planks to make box gardens. Mm. Um, we've got um, a, like a hoop house so that we have the metal hoops that are covered by plastic. So we're, it's a, a form of a greenhouse in the Ottawa area that we can use to kind of get um, our produce started almost a month early and then extend into the winter. So we're able to grow carrots and things like that in the ground all the way up till Christmas here. Um, so we, we take the fund and we reinvest it into the farm. We also have, we run an, a small orchard. So we've bought apple and plum and pear trees. Um, we have a ton of different raspberry bushes and all other, a whole bunch of other kind of berries, like two dozen different kinds of berries. So we've used the money to kind of reinvest and grow um, the farm that we use for the baskets and also to feed our family. How many people are getting baskets? Uh, I know like I tried to side on with you guys and, and it's a bit <laughs> far for us. Like it's a 40 minute drive. So that was a bit of a, I mean, we, we found CSAs that are closer, much closer. There's one on our street, but you guys were tapped out, right? You had a limit and you reach that limit every year in terms of subscribers. We advertise ourselves as a boutique CSA. So we're not your typical CSA. Our baskets are two to three times bigger Wow. Um, and the price is two to three times higher. Hmm. Um, but we're able to customize the baskets for the family um, and basically be your entire source of all things fresh for the, the growing season. Hmm. Um, we only take, so in past years, we've taken four and a half families, so four full shares and a half share. Um, and then this year, because I'm back in the the paid workforce during the day, we've scaled it down to three families. Mm. So, I mean, we're talking really small scale um, production, um, but very specialty kind of specialized CSA production. You guys do all this on like how many acres of land? Two. That's amazing. It's <laughs> <laughs> just amazing. Yes, I would plant every square inch uh, if I was allowed, but... My partner is the one that does the rototilling, and he refuses to rototill around the apple trees. So I've, I've resided myself to square gardens and different plots on our, on our acreage. But we also, like I mentioned, run animals on the acreage. In addition to an orchard, we have berry bushes, and we have an apiary. So we actually have five beehives as well. So we have to use our, um, our resources sustainably uh, and you have to rotate crop rotate for your animals that are on pasture as well so no, i mean not every square inch of our two acres is vegetable gardens as exciting as that might be we've been to your farm a couple times and i love your animals so much uh i have a lot of fun running around the chicken coop and hanging out with your ducks and your turkeys and your goats and your sheep we have <laughs> six sheep uh right now we have four goats uh we did have more but no one needs as many goats as we had, so we rehomed some of them. And we're, we're down <laughs> a to lot four. of goats. We had a lot of goats. Goats have a lot of babies, so when you breed mm. your goats for milk, you end up with a whole bunch of goats. Oh. Um, so we're we're currently down to four. Uh, we have about two dozen laying hens right now. We have forty six eggs in the incubator, mm. so those will hatch in two weeks, and you'll have to come over and see our fuzzy <gasps> baby chicks. Yes! Oh yeah! Oh my gosh! But that'll be chicks. our our next generation of layers, and then roosters as well. So that'll be meat for our family come the fall. Uh, we have our three ducks, mm. our two turkeys. Pecky Becky and Gus. Exactly. The highlight of the farm. <laughs> they are. We have our bees, uh, which all overwintered this year, our full five hives. So that's incredibly exciting. We should get a very good honey harvest this year. And then we have our one livestock guardian dog that lives fully outside. Uh, her name is Ava. 
and she protects the animals from predators in the area. She she literally lives with your farm animals. Like she's a, with the goats. A, yeah, she's really a, like they're her people, right? Those farm animals, not so much you guys, but the animals. They are supposed to be her people. She is, uh, yeah, she does live fully with the goats. Um, she has definitely been a difficult, one of the more difficult animals we've had to kind of, she's supposed to instinctually guard the animals. We've had some in- incidents of her trying to eat the animals during her training. Oh. So she's now four yeah. and she is, she understands her job a lot better than she did as a puppy, but she's uh, she's a work in progress. Last question. Where do you see yourself in all this in five, 10 years down the road? Like retired, living high off the hog? That's an excellent question. I mean, life seems to change so much so quickly. So it's hard to say, I guess, after we just exited a global pandemic, hopefully, that Hmm. what the next five years hold. Something I'd like to pursue more that we've done a little bit is we have done a couple collaborations with local breweries, um, especially with regards to honey. So we kind of give them honey and they use that in a specialty kind of beer collaboration. Um, So if we could keep partnering with Small Pony Barrel Works and Crooked Mile Brewing Company and that kind of thing, I love the collaborations. I think it's so exciting Mm. to be able to see things that you produce on the farm used in something totally different and new and exciting. Yeah, I guess our kids are going to keep growing. Our animals are going to keep growing. We're going to keep growing our relationships with the families in our CSA. And I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. It's so nice to see your boys, like they're so involved with all the animals and all of it. And they're not afraid of anything. They're so fun. They really enjoy being outside. Yeah, ice fishing with them is awesome. Yeah. Yes. Well, we're a big, uh, a big hunting family. So they are out hunting with their dad a lot, um, which I find very exciting, both because it builds the relationship with dad, but also because it feeds the family. Um, in, in addition to the farming. So that's kind of exciting. Um, I'm the avid hiker in the family. So the boys are always outside with me, exploring new areas, learning about the forest. We've learned, I've taught them about foraging, um, that kind of thing. So we're big outdoors people. The fact that you can find food outdoors that sustains your family, I think is pretty exciting. That really kind of floats our boat. So thanks, Crystal. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy (laughs) schedule. Yeah, thanks. Oh, well, I'm very glad to be here. So thank you so much for chatting with me. Outdoor tips and tech. Six degrees on your left, 122 meters. South, south, southeast, southeast. Across North America, birds that depend on grassland are in steep decline. Nearly 60% of Canada's birds have disappeared since 1970. Birds Canada works on a variety of research and monitoring projects. The Canadian Nightjar Survey is focused on three species. And this is where it gets interesting, folks. This is why I'm including it in my tips and tech section. This is a call out for you guys to get involved because it involves listening for birds at night. The birds they want you to listen for include the common nighthawk, the common poorwill, and the eastern whippoorwill. All three of these birds are nocturnal feeders. That's why they don't have much information about them, because you don't see them when they're out and about. You only hear them. The data they're looking for will provide information on abundance, habitat, distribution, and population trends. Volunteers will spend one summer evening listening for these species between June 15th and July 15th. That's all they're asking for. To find out more and to get involved, 
contact Andrew Coughlin. He's the Quebec Director for Birds Canada. You can email him at A-C-O-U-G-H-L-A-N at Coughlin at birdscanada.org. Birds Canada is depending on people listening for birds at night. And they're actually sending out listening devices that run all night to record bird sounds. They need people to listen to these recordings and identify the different birds they're hearing. There's another possibility. Let me know how it goes. You know, as I mentioned, I spent a lot of my summers as a young person growing up on my uncle's dairy farms, bringing in the hay, cleaning out the barns, milking the cows. In Canada, kids are allowed to work on farms, on their family's farms. Doesn't matter how old you are. If you can walk around and wear a pair of rubber boots, there's a job for you. And you know what? The people who drive the tractors are often the youngest ones of the bunch because the older kids have a little more strength and they can do the manual labor things like lifting bales of straw and hay and unloading wagons where the young ones drive the tractors around in the fields. I spent many a day driving tractors with my low vision, my lack of central vision. But it's not that bad because fields are always one consistent color. You know, in the summer, they're either a light green or a light yellow or beige. And in the, uh, in the spring planting season, they're just dark. So there's a lot of contrast there. So good way to see things that are in your way. I even drove the tractor pulling the wagon that we stacked the hay and the straw on. And some of those levels were, you know, six layers high, piled up pancake style. Tractors are slow, the brakes work well, so, you know, it's not like you're going anywhere in a hurry. On dairy farms now, cows spend their entire lives inside the barn. The food is brought into them. It's not like it was when I was a kid, where the farm sizes were smaller, maybe 50 to 100, 150 head of dairy cows, and they could spend the evening and their days out in the pasture, and you just have to get up super early in the morning, put on your rubber boots, and go and gently bring them back to the milk barn. You wouldn't want these things to run with their full udders and sour the milk. Then we'd fire up the milking equipment and bring them in to the milk stall, group at a time. They were always anxious to be milked because of the pressure in their udders, and they'd have a little bit of kibble to chew on as they were being milked. You know, as my vision slowly faded away, my ability to avoid stepping in cow patties faded out too. And it's not so much a hazard or a stinky mess thing. Yeah, it's all of that. You can slip in it. You can fall in it. You can get it all over your boots. But it was more of a humility thing. Because as a farmer, you learn to keep one eye looking down and one eye looking up so you can see where you're going so you don't step in these things. It's a bit of pride and you make fun of people who do step in the patties. But it's still fun to be on the farm. And that's why they make boots. Feeding the calves was one of the other chores I loved a lot. You know, cows have to have a, a calf every 300 days if they're going to continue to give milk. So if you got 100 or 200 cows, you got 100 or 200 calves popping in every 300 days. And they need to be fed milk from the cows and uh, kibble and then later put on pasture, but they're so small and they're so hungry all the time. You always want to give them more and more and more and they jostle each other and they try to get into position to get their, their share. And if sometimes you see the little ones and they get pushed out, you just make a little space for them and you bring them in. Sometimes you have to put your hand right in their mouth and they'll suck on your hand as if it was a, you know, mommy. And then you 
lower their nose into the big bucket of milk and then they're happy. After all the chores were done in the morning, then it was time for us to have breakfast and then our day began. I only ever fell out of one barn. When we lift the uh, hay bales and straw bales up into the lofts of the barn, there's a door up there and you push the elevator up to that, the conveyor, and then you unload the wagons and they go up the conveyor belt and into the loft of the barn. But if you're inside the barn, you got to open up that door. You need to be careful because that first step is usually 15 feet down. I found that out the hard way. Landed on my head, broke my arm. There was a lot of other near incidents where I narrowly avoided disaster for myself and for others. But you know what? Farming is a pretty dangerous activity. In terms of professions, it's the most disabling activity there is out there. The machinery is huge, it's complicated. If you don't grow up around this machinery now on farms, you're better off not going near it. And even if you have grown up around it, you've got a good chance you're going to lose a limb or get crushed to death. We should think about that and praise and give thanks to those farmers and their families that work so hard and risk so much to put the food on our table. Follow me on Facebook. Twitter, and Instagram, or visit me at lawrencegunther.com to keep up to date on my blogs and videos. Subscribe to get the latest episodes of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther by visiting your favorite podcast provider. And please take some time to rank us and give us some comments on your podcast provider's site so other people will learn about our new show. Send me your feedback, suggestions, and questions on email at feedback at ami.ca or on Twitter at AMI Audio. I want to thank Nazreen Abdel-Majid, Sam Robinson, and Paula Deneen. They're my technicians. The manager of AMI Audio is Andy Frank. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.